and welcome back to the Father-Daughter Book Club. I'm one of your hosts, Kalia. And I'm the other host, Chris. And today, we have something very special planned. We have an interview with a very special author that actually agreed and was able to do an interview. That's right. We're interviewing Kristen Levine, the author of The Lions of Little Rock. So yeah, it's a little bit farther back in the books that we've read, so hopefully you kind of remember a little bit of it. Yeah, we read this book earlier in the summer, and we were just finally able to get Kristen on the phone with us. Uh, schedules, per, you know, were kind of crazy over the summer, and, and just, you know, it was really nice of her, really sweet of her to sit down and talk with us. So I had a fun time talking to her. I hope I you did, did too. too. Yeah, I mean, she's a really sweet person. Um, just accommodated everything that we needed and and le- gave us some insight into her writing process, which is not something I expected no. going into the, the interview. But I was just expecting, oh, hey, we're just going to ask some questions about her, her books, and this book, in particular, The Lines of Little Rock. But she gave us very much more in detail, and I'm really glad that she did, because now you can see the insight to an author. Yeah, if you're interested in becoming an author yourself, definitely listen. Yeah, because she has some great, uh, not necessarily tips, but just some, like you said, some insight into the process. So tune in to that in a couple of minutes. We'd like to remind you also that the book we're reading currently and that the next episode of the podcast will be about is Uglies by Scott Westerfield. I personally wanted to read this book for a while now. Ever since one of my friends read it, it was like, hey, is that a good book? And she said, yeah, just a little slow in the beginning. And then it gets really good. And so I was really excited to read it. And now I'm reading the second book in the series. Still haven't finished it, though. That's all right. I'm sure you'll get around to it. So, yeah, make sure that you get your copy of Uglies by Scott Westerfield so that you can join us for our next book club meeting. In a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. And uh, just, again, support your local library if you don't have your own copy of it. Uh, you can check out uh, an ebook even from the library if, if you, you do want that to. Yeah, that's, a lot. that's usually what I do. So that way, um, you know, I can read it on the go wherever I'm at. I can't, though, because I don't have the app on my phone. So I can't. Yeah, that's right. But. That's all right, you know. I you you always said you prefer the Paper. hard copies anyway. I do because then when I see it on the computer, it just makes my brain automatically turn into scan mode instead of oh. like reading in depth, which I tend to pay attention more when I read it in this. So because I tend whenever I take tests on the computer, I make silly errors because I wasn't reading. The whole question carefully. Yeah, you can't do that. So, like I said, get, either get yourself a hard copy or get an e-copy of it. You can get a Kindle copy of it. You, However you want to get a copy of this book, make sure you get it so you can join our next discussion. Just read it. Um, but for <laughs> now, we just like to go get on to the interview. So here she is, Kristen Levine, author Yay. of Lions of Little Rock. Woo! Let's give it up for Kristen Levine. Well, first of all, thank you for for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. 
I am thrilled to do it. It's such an honor to be on your podcast and just, just seems like a lot of fun. It's a fun idea. It's an honor for us to be talking to you because we really enjoyed Lines of Little Rock and so I'm actually really excited about this. Oh, yay. Well, thank you so much. That's great to hear. So I have a few questions to ask you. Is that okay? Of course. I love it. Go for it. So how did you come up with the storyline for Lions of Little Rock? So how did I come up with the story for Lions of Little Rock? Okay. Well, there are a couple of things. Um, the first was that my mom is actually from Little Rock. So part of this was me being lazy and thinking, oh, this will be great that if I base this book on sort of my mom, like my mom's name is Marlene, which is where I came up with the name Marley, um, I won't have to do as much research for this book. Unfortunately, my mom didn't remember as much about being a kid as I had thought she would. So it didn't work out quite as great as I had planned. But um, there were a few things that she really remembered that made it into the book. Um, one of them was that she really did live near the zoo and used to listen to the lions roar at night. So that was something I really got directly from her experience. Um, and then one of the other things is just funny is that there really was this high dive at the swimming pool um, that, that, you know, she used to jump off of. So, so that, those little elements came from her. Um, Have you ever dove off a high dive yourself? Well, I've never done it. No, when we went to visit, we went with my mom to talk to a bunch of people in Little Rock to do um, interviews when I was writing this book. And it was winter. So unfortunately, the, the swimming pool was closed. Um, but we did go to the zoo and we went to her old house and we kind of knocked on the door, but no one was there. So we snuck around back and sort of probably looked like we were like lurking about. But um, but it was really neat to sort of I think it's really important when you're writing a book to go to the places and, you know, see what was actually um, going on. Yeah. And then so the other funny thing about this book is that I was really planning to write about the year of the Little Rock Nine, because that's what I knew about. I didn't know about the schools being closed when I first started this book. Um, and it was just that someone I was interviewing um, was actually, her name is Cynthia, and she was actually the daughter of Dr. Agar, who's a super minor character in the book. He's one of the people that started the stop campaign at the end to get the schools reopened. Um, and so it was when I was talking to her that she was just telling me like what it was like to be a 12 year old during this time when the schools were all closed. And she said, like, on the one hand, it was really exciting and fun because the schools were closed and the parents were all busy. And so she could eat chocolate cake for dinner every night and no one cared. But at the same time, she said it was really horrible because she actually, like Marley in the book, um, received death threats on the phone because her parents were so involved in the you know, fight for integration. Um, so you thought, you think that I would have like listened to her and been like, oh yes, I need to write this book about the year after the Little Rock Nine. But no, I wrote about a hundred pages before I realized, oh, you know, members, people, members of the Little Rock Nine have written about that year. I don't have anything else to tell about that story. So I had to sort of throw out all those hundred pages I'd written um, and then start over again, writing about the next year, the last year. That's interesting, though, because some of the, the best ideas often come out of people having to pivot from their original idea. 
Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm a big believer in that, that you have to kind of do the work and you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to have to throw out a ton of it. Um, it's just part of the process. It's kind of fun. So what inspired you to write this story? Was it knowing that your mom was from there and so you just thought, oh, this would be an easy way to get out of doing research or did you have some sort of like background? Well, with not really. I mean, I, I think where my real interest in this story and this topic came from was that um, like I grew up in the mid 80s, um, which was actually the height of integration in this country, in the schools. The schools were the most integrated. I think I heard somewhere in like 1987, which is like when I was in seventh grade. Um, and when I was in elementary school, my neighborhood school was mainly white. I'm white. And it was paired with a um, mainly black school across town. And this meant that, that I would have to ride the bus to school, but then both schools would be sort of really diverse. And, um, and I remember asking my mom, like, well, why do I have to do this? Why can't I just go to this school? And she was like, this is going to be so great, Kristen. You are going to love this opportunity to go to school with people that maybe don't look exactly like you or haven't had the same experiences of, as you. And, and really, my mom was just so enthusiastic about this that it really put me in a really good frame of mind. And I mean, she was totally right that when I think back on my education, the thing I remember most and that I value the most was how how diverse it was and how many different types of people um, I got to know. So, so I guess like school integration is something I directly experienced in a very, very positive way. And it's something that I just still feel is super important um, for different types of people in our country to get to know each other. Um, so I think that's why I knew the story of the Little Rock Nine that I sort of, you know, thought, okay, that might be something that would mean something to me. Um, so that actually kind of relates to this one, which is, yeah. do you relate to anything in the lines of Little Rock, which was the integration, but are there, like, had, have you had a friend of another race at the school that you were going to and finding different things out about her that you might not have known? Um, well, yeah, I mean, yes, I've definitely had friends of different races just because in you know, in my school, in my elementary and high school, and then also at college. Um, I'll say what, what in the book, I really relate to a lot of the characteristic um, of the characters. Like Marley, I was never shy like Marley, but I knew a girl um, like that in seventh grade. And, you know, I, I loved math. Um, I never did very much with it, but I always liked it a lot. So sort of that came from me as well. Um, I was never as good socially as Liz is in the book, but I kind of always wanted to be someone like her that was really good at making friends and sort of bringing people out of their shell and bringing people together. Um, the way um, I came up with sort of, so about Liz was that I, I knew I wanted to have this interracial friendship in the book. Um, in my first book, which is called The Best Bad Luck I Ever Had, it, it was based on my grandfather's life in 1917, Alabama, and it was also sort of an interracial friendship story. But when I said, well, I was going to do this again, I realized I had a problem with Little Rock in the 1950s, which was that there was really no space 
for like a white girl and a black girl to meet each other and get to know each other. Um, and so I didn't really know what I was going to do because again, like you were saying, having problems is sort of the mother of invention. Um, and I was talking to my uncle at the time who, you know, also grew up in Little Rock and he had gone to West side junior high. And he told me about this boy who had been there one day at the school and then was gone the next. And he never saw this kid again. No one ever really knew what happened to him. But the rumor was that he had, had been a light-skinned African-American boy who had been passing as white. Um, and so that gave me the idea to deal with with Liz um, and the passing, which um, you know I hadn't read a lot about or heard a lot about before, I, again, before I started writing this book. Um, but it, it was a way for the for the two of them to meet and get to know each other. How much research did you, did you have to do on that? I'm curious. Cause it's, it's a term that I had to take some time to explain to Kalia because she didn't quite understand what was happening during that part of the book. And yeah. uh, it's certainly, you know, something that I've somewhat experienced because people, Kalia and I are both mixed. And so people never quite know exactly what we are. <laughs> yeah. So we can pass for lots of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another really great book for young readers. I don't know if you read it called Fly Girl. No, um, we haven't read I that yet. I wanted to read that book so badly. Yeah, it's a really great book. It's about a, a light-skinned African-American woman who passes as white during World War II in order to read, to um, fly the planes. You know, the women got to fly the planes when the men were overseas fighting. Um, and so I had read that book. And, um, you know, I felt, I felt kind of hesitant to, to even write about this, but I just really needed it as a sort of technique. So I said, oh, I'm going to do what research I can on this. And I emailed her, the author of that book. And I was like, what research did you do? And she was like, yeah, there wasn't, I couldn't find a lot of research. Right. So, so I mean, on, I did a ton of research for the book on the historical events and all of that part for the passing part, you know, I, I talked to her, I talked to who people I could about it. Um, I think it was one of those things that was just really secretive because if you didn't, if someone found out, it was just so the consequences were so dangerous that there mm -hmm. hasn't been, a, I think there's more written now than there was when I wrote the book about it, but no, it's not something that I've, I, I know a lot about in many ways or did a lot of research on other than that. I know that it did sometimes happen. So um, when did you start to write the book and when did you get the idea? Oh, that's a great question. Just cause it takes so long to write books. Um, I started this book probably, it took me about three years to write the book. I think I started. Oh, wow. to, oh that was faster than my first book, which took me, eight years from beginning to end. That was my first one, right? You think I get faster. And then so Lions of Little Rock took me about three years. It was about a year to research, um, a year to write, and then a year to edit. Um, then my third book took me two and a half years, which is called The Paper Cowboy. And so I thought I was getting faster. And then my next book is coming out finally next year. It took me four years. I was like, why did I get slower again? You think I would know what I'm doing, but it's just well, sometimes... I'm sure each subject poses its own challenge, right? 
I that's what my editor kept telling me who's super nice and she's super supportive so she's like it's okay it happens sometimes but you know, the mortgage company it. isn't quite as understanding <laughs> You know, it just depends. Why? It's taking me longer to do this book than I expected. They still want you to pay on time, so it's just dependent on the subject of the book and how, like, hard the subject of the book is. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, and I think it de- depends on like when you have your good idea. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've worked with the same editor for, on all of my books, which is sort of unusual, I guess, for New York. And she's just a really great editor, editor, um, but she can be really harsh too, and in a really good way. I mean that in a really good way, where she won't let me publish something if she doesn't think it's it's good enough. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of like throwing things out, like throwing out a hundred pages is not uncommon at all. Like I said before, so it just takes a while sometimes. Well, we really appreciate the fact that you take the time and the effort to put forth such polished work, you know, as, as readers, we yeah. feel all of that time that you spent and, you know, well, thank it just makes you. for a better experience for us. Well, good. I'm glad. That's, that's a good way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about the end result and you get good results. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it is. And, and I just, you know, I, I do... I, I just feel really lucky to have this this particular editor. Um, um, she is all she is black as well, and she really helped me a lot with this book. Feeling like I could take chances and say things, and she'd be like, "Yeah, no, you can't say that." Like <laughs> part out yeah. that is, you know. And and I just I really appreciated like having someone that I could have this dialogue with about race and about sort of some of these hard conversations that. I feel like sometimes we don't have safe spaces to talk about them with people. Um, and I feel like, so without her, it, it just would not have been nearly as great a book. She's, she's a very cool person. Well, it certainly gave the space for Kali and I to talk about some of those very same things. Because, <laughs> you know, in natural conversation, it doesn't happen, yeah. right? Like, you know, yeah. You know, talk about this kind of stuff around the dinner table. Yeah, it seems awkward, right? So, like, that makes me so happy to hear that because that's probably one of my, that was, like, one of my humongous goals for this book was just to get people sort of talking about, you know, the topic, which even though it took place so long ago, I feel like this is, these these are also issues we're dealing with today, really, as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy that this book was on my seventh grade reading list. Because otherwise, I probably wouldn't have read it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was—I've been really lucky that the book has been on a lot of state reading lists. Which, before I became a writer, I don't think I even knew that state reading lists existed. But they've been <laughs> so great for me because I've just gotten to go so many different places around the country and talk or Skype with different people. It's really been a fun experience. So you, as the writer. Like, from your perspective, who would you recommend this book to? Like, did you write this towards a specific audience of people or children, or was it just for the topic itself? Um, that's a great question. People, I, I guess, I, I think I may, sometimes people ask it slightly differently. Sometimes people ask me, like, why do you write middle grade, right? Which is sort of technically like 9 to 12-year-olds or like fourth or fifth grade to seventh or eighth grade. Um, 
And so that was really the age group I was thinking of when I was writing this book. And I guess for me, that was a time when reading was really, really important to me in my life. I mean, I, I still love to read and everything, but I feel like, like, how old are you, Kalia? 12. 12. Yeah. So like when you're 12, you don't have that much control over things, right? You have to go to school when grownups tell you to go to school. You have to, you know, do your homework. There's all this stuff that the adults in your life are controlling. But I felt, at least when I was a kid, that reading was something that I could control and like I could pick what I wanted to read. And that, that became really important to me. Um, so like, I like to just imagine I'm kind of writing for the 12 year old me. Um, I also have a daughter who's 11. So now I'm kind of like, think about her sometimes too, when I'm writing. Um, and I guess too, that I feel like that kids, kids sometimes have the best discussions about these kind of topics too, because they seem less afraid to say stuff. And, um, and I, I, I always, when I present at schools, the kids always have fantastic questions. And every once in a while, I'll be asked to do a presentation for grownups, like for educators or something. And they, it's so much harder to get them to ask questions. So I guess I think there's something really special about this age group that I just really enjoy writing for. My kids say I'm actually um, like still that age, that I never really grew up, <laughs> that I just have this young personality, so. Who knows? Well, that's why we all have kids, right? So we can live vicariously through them. Yeah, kind of, right? I mean, it's like an excuse to do silly things and play card games and, you know, just go (laughs) trick-or-treating, all those fun things you still get to do when you're a parent, which is is a nice thing. One of those things that you said, which is play card games, me and my dad do all the time. So I was like, Oh my god! You like to do that yeah. too? Yeah, yeah. I was just playing cards with my daughter before you call, before I talk to you guys. So we like games in our house as well. So one of the the, the cutest things that I thought that that happened in the book is that Marley likes to categorize people by what kind of drink they might be. Uh huh. That was so cute. Yeah. So we were wondering what kind of drink would you be? Oh, okay. That's a, I usually say that I um, am like a glass of seltzer water because I'm very bubbly and energetic. (laughs) But if you leave me out too long, I'll go flat and I'll need some like time to recharge and, and get my bubbles back. Um, I I do have to say, because people always ask me about that. And I think it's such a funny thing because it, it came again, like we were talking before, it came out of me doing something badly. And that was, I just didn't describe any of my characters in the book, first draft of the book. And so my editor, Stacy kept writing these little notes on the side saying, I can't picture this character. What do they look like? And again and again, she just kept nagging me to describe the characters. And I, um, and so finally I had to sit down and like address this concern, right? I had to do something. And so when I was thinking about it, I realized that I'm kind of unobservant in real life. Like if you asked me to describe my friend Polly, who I've known since we were both 10, I might say something like she has brown hair, I think. But if you asked me what color eyes she had, I, I wouldn't know. Um, but, but I can remember how people make me feel. Like I remember this person is fun to be around. This person stresses me out. So I sort of randomly came up with the idea that Marley would also describe people as how they made her feel. 
And I just sort of threw in the drink thing as this side thing, basically to get my editor to stop bugging me about that. Um, and then she really liked that. And she was like, oh, do more of that. Um, and, and so I did. And of course, like people like that part. So it's just funny to me because it was kind of an act. It was, again, it was an accident. It came out of me doing a bad job one way. So I was forced to think up a sort of different and maybe more creative way to describe people um, than just what they look like. I know, because I know that in school when we have to write like stories and narratives, mm-hmm. it's always really hard for me to come up and describe people. Yeah. And come up really I, I agree with you. Story. I find it very difficult. I feel like then I'm just listing these like weird facts about them and I'm not not giving yeah. any idea of who they really are. So, um, yeah, funny. I'm glad you enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest part of starting the book? The hardest part of starting the book? Um, oh, oh was another part? really hard thing. Was that uh, I find the first, some, some authors really, well, I hear tell that some authors really like the first draft of the book. Um, but I find it really, really hard. The first draft, I love the editing part in the middle. I love editing and revising, but the first draft is just so difficult. And so the first draft of the book, you may be surprised to hear this. Marley had no trouble talking at all. She's just this nervous which if you, since you've read the book, you realize without the idea that Marley doesn't like to talk, there's really not much of a book there. (laughs) It was kind of bad um, and boring. And what happened was, again, my editor read this first draft where Marley was just could talk fine. And she was like, "Eh," you know, like the plot is okay, but I just like Marley's voice is still not right. Something is wrong with her voice. Um, You know, like meaning like her personality and how it comes through on the page. But I then, she sends me these letters when you're working with an editor, these long letters telling you everything that's wrong with your book. So I got very <laughs> upset with her. I, mean, I didn't say this to her, but like in my own head, her name is Stacy. I said, well, fine, Stacy. If you don't like Marley's voice, then maybe she just won't have a voice at all. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send this to Stacy. I'm going to find her her contact information and let her know that this is what you said. Oh yes, yeah, she knows. <laughs> I tell this story all the time. She knows. And so like, I was like, wait a second, maybe that's a good idea. Like, like maybe I should actually do that. Um, and so that's when I came up with the idea of Marley not liking to talk. And then that, like that made the book come alive for me because then you have, you know, she both literally has to learn to talk and she has to learn to stand up for herself. And, you know, the city of Little Rock has to kind of learn to stand up for itself. Um, so once I had that idea and I started doing that, I sort of knew the book would work. But before I had that idea, it's terrifying because you're writing and you're writing and you just you don't really know if you're going to find that idea to make it work. And end, but you kind of have to just trust that you will at some point in the process. Yeah, I think it, it allows for Marley to go on her own uh, maturation through the book. And that helps the story quite a bit when you can see the main character mature from this quiet, shy kid to someone who's willing to dive off of the diving board at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that was my hope. And it, it sort of gave... Um, to me, it gave a real meaning to their friendship as well, that this was not only that they just liked each other, they were really 
helping each other learn to be better people, which is sort of, I guess what I really hope that my friends do and my kids' friends do, right? We help each other out, be our best selves. So you've mentioned a, a little bit about your next project, but is there anything more you can tell us about it? Sure. Um, so my my next project's called the um, the Jigsaw Jungle. It's coming out in June, and with this book came Thanks. from um, well, like again, a lot of my books seem to come from me trying to be lazy and take the easy way out, and it never, never, ever works. So I should just learn not to do that. Um, but the idea no, was no. Please that- continue to do that, and then you'll come up with these great ideas. <laughs> So my idea was is that I would write this contemporary story that would take place in my hometown because I live in um, Alexandria, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. And I feel like we get so mm-hmm. many books about New York City. But like we, if we get a book about Washington, it's always about politics. And like as a kid, I was not at all interested in politics, but... But it's a great area for kids because we have all these museums and all these like cool things to do and it's all free. And um, so I wanted to write something about this this city. Now, I thought Lines of Little Rock was bad. I've actually written, I ended up writing like three complete books till I got to the one that worked for this story. But now um, it's, uh, it's about a girl whose dad sort of disappears one day and they don't know exactly where he's gone. Um, she goes to stay with her grandfather. And she realizes that when he was a kid, her father had buried this time capsule um, in her in his parents' backyard. And if she can find this time capsule, she might be able to figure out what's happened to her dad. Um, and, but she has to do all these jigsaw puzzles to find the clues and go these different places in the city. Um, so, like, I loved jigsaw puzzles as a kid. That was something I really wanted to have in there as well. Um, for this book, the thing that sort of in the end finally made it come alive is that, again, my editor kept complaining that something wasn't quite right about the story. And was there a way to make the book itself more of a puzzle since it's all about these puzzles and sort of these mysteries? So I finally came up with the idea of um, this book is told all through sort of um, like text messages and phone transcripts and a receipt and then a random email and then um, these sort of found objects that she's collected and put into like this binder about what happened to her dad and about her family. So either it will be really cool. Like I'm hoping it will be really cool. If not, well, you know, I tried something different and uh, we'll go from there, but, but I'm excited. Cause it was really, it was really fun to write. Um, the other funny thing is I was like, Oh, this is going to be so contemporary. It's all going to be present day. And then there ended up being a lot of stuff about when I was a kid. Um, thrown into the book as well, which was sort of fun to write about stuff that I did as a child in the city as well. What type of books do you usually write? Like what time era do they usually take place in? Well, see, I might have been all over. Um, My first three books have been historical fiction. And the first Mm -hmm. one was Best Bad Luck, and it was 1917. Um, And that was based on my grandfather's life growing up that he sort of inspired me for that. And then Lions was the like late fifties. And then what happened for my third book was that um, my parents live nearby and they help out with my kids a lot. They do babysitting and stuff. So every time I saw my dad, my dad would walk, walk around going, you know, Kristen, I had a really interesting life too. You could write a book about me. 
And so finally, I was like, Dad, okay, like, tell me about your life. Um, And so that book ended up being the early 50s outside of Chicago, Illinois. Um, My dad grew up in sort of an immigrant community. And um, that's about um, this boy who my, my dad told me a story that he was actually kind of a bully as a kid. And he wasn't, you know, he felt really bad about it now, but he had a very difficult home life and he sort of took that out on other people at school. So it ended up being the story about a kid who was a bully, but of course he learned not to be a bully and sort of how his community um, helped him to grow and change as well. How would you describe your, your first project? Like what got you into writing? Oh, okay. That's a great thing to talk about because I am uh, a little unusual that way too, because when I was a kid, I actually hated writing. I hated it. Oh, don't we all though? So much. (laughs) I just hated it. I I mean, I was like Marley. I loved math. It was clear. It was logical. It all made sense. Um, And what happened was that actually the summer after seventh grade, so when I was about your age, Um, I had the opportunity to go to summer camp at this place called CTY. Um, And this is a program, they still have it today. It's run by Johns Hopkins University. And basically you get to pretend to be a college student for three weeks. You're like 13, but you get to go to a college campus and sleep in the dorms and you take a class. And I was planning to take a math class. But the last second, I thought to myself, like, no, you know, you should take a writing class, Kristen, because you're just so terrible at writing, but teachers keep making you do it. So if you, you should go and take a writing class and then maybe you'll learn something and you won't hate it quite so much. Um, so that's what I did. And when I was at this program, it was very, mainly workshopping where, you know, we would read what someone had written, everyone would give them comments, and then we would go and rewrite it. And that was when I realized for the first time that, you know, writing was not like a math test. I didn't have to get the right answer the first time that when you're writing, your first draft can be absolutely terrible and it doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is your final draft. And so once I realized that I was able to sort of relax and take the pressure off myself to make it um, right the first time. And, And when I did that, when I took that pressure off myself, I found that I really um, enjoyed writing and wanted to do it all the time. Um, but I often think like, oh my gosh, if I had not taken that class, like I, I, w- I don't think I would have ever become a writer. Um, and it's just it sounds funny. like the, mm-hmm. the recurring theme in your life and career has been the pivot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's just, it's just really interesting to me, but I always like to tell people it's like, I still do not consider myself a very good writer. I, I'm just a very good rewriter. And I'm really good at taking feedback and listening to people, you know, like hearing what people say and finding a way to address their concerns and still make it my story. Um, and I love doing that part. Like that is the part that's so fun for me. Um, so, but I just really, I, I like, I love to talk to young people because some people love writing and take to it very quickly in the beginning, but others struggle more. And I, I can kind of relate to both, both viewpoints on it. So you said that you love to read mm-hmm. um, as a child and as and still. Yeah. What's your favorite book? Oh my gosh, one favorite book is too hard to say. Um, I'll say I'll tell you some of my favorite books from when I was a kid. 
Um, because maybe you haven't read them. Like, I mean, we're huge, like Harry Potter fans in our house because Harry Potter is just great. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but when I was a kid, I really loved Ursula Le Guin and her The Wizard of Earthsea series, which if you like Harry Potter, you should totally read because it's kind of, I mean, it came way before Harry Potter and it's, there's some similarities. Um, I also really loved Lloyd Alexander's, uh, the book of, the book of three series, which, um, I just, I don't know. I read those again and again and again as a kid. Um, it's kind of funny because I read a lot, I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and I've always sort of wanted to write a fantasy or sci-fi book, but I haven't found an idea yet that my editor likes enough to, to buy or to, to say, yeah, go ahead and do that. But maybe one of these days, I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, those are some good recommendations. We haven't read either of those series yet. We did read, um, well, before we started the podcast, we read Harry Potter, the first book. Yeah. But maybe Kalia was a little too young at the time because it didn't. didn't... I was was in like third grade. I mean, I think it also sort of depends on your personality. Like, like some people really like those kind of books and some people don't as much. Um, I know with, um, I don't know if you've read the series of unfortunate events. Have you read those? We read, read the, the first, first two books, right? I read the first two books. Well, see, my older daughter like was like you like read the first two books and was like, eh, they're okay. I've had enough. And then my younger daughter just thought they were the most hilarious books she had ever read in her entire life, and like read all eleven of them. And you know, it's it's sort of like your personality is that does it connect with you or not? I think I was somewhere in the middle of my two kids, but I enjoyed those as well. I mean, and my older daughter read Hunger Games, which we I also enjoyed, you know, those more popular series as well. But fun. You, I started to read Hunger Games, but didn't, you finish, didn't finish it. it. Yeah, I mean... It's one of those books that I, I, I liked the first one a lot. I didn't like the other in this series were not as, as favorites of mine. Um, and we had to have a lot of discussions of was she, did I feel like she was old enough to read it because there's so much violence in those books. But, um, but ultimately, you know, like I had read them, so we got to read and discuss them. And that's been really fun now too with like, like you do with your dad. It's super fun to be able to read books and discuss them with a parent. I think that's just like a really great thing um, to do. And I think it's so awesome. You have a father daughter book club. Cause I feel like there are a lot of mom daughter <laughs> book clubs, but you know, extra special to do it with your dad. I, unfortunately I have to go put my kids to bed in a couple minutes. So maybe like one more question, oh, if you have it, that would be great. Um, who's your favorite author? Oh my gosh. That's so hard. <laughs> I mean, let me think. Let me think. I also really like, I'll give you another old, uh, older one that I really liked, um, which is also fantasy, is Robin McKinley, who she wrote The Hero in the Crown and The Blue Sword, which were two books that I really, I think one of them won the Newbery a long time ago. They were two books that um, I read a bunch of times as a kid and maybe really enjoyed. But there's so many different great books and, you know, it depends on your mood. I'll say a lot of times. Too. Oh, the other person I have to mention who I always say is a fa- and is a huge influence to me is um, Christopher Paul Curtis and the Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. You guys have read that book, right? <gasps> I've, I've seen the movie. Wait, you haven't read Boy, the book? The Watsons Go to Birmingham? 
I've heard of oh, No, we I haven't read, read it yet. It. I it. love that book. That book like really inspired all of my books. And and what I love about it is it's about this super serious topic, right? The bombing of the church in Birmingham. And it's like that's like at the end, but this book is mainly about this wonderful family. And the family is just hilarious and so funny and sweet. And it um to me, you know, I had always known about the the bombing in Birmingham because like civil rights is something that I've sort of always been interested in because of my upbringing. Um, but, you know, it was like a fact. It wasn't something that I felt sort of emotionally. And that book made me feel it in a different way. And sort of that's what I, I, I think historical fiction can be so powerful in that way where it becomes not something that happened to people long ago, but that's something that you feel and you care about as if it were happening to you or someone that you cared about as well. So I totally recommend all of his books, but that is probably my favorite of his. Well, thank you for those recommendations. Um, We're always looking for recommendations about books that we can talk about on the, on our podcast and also just to read for fun. So we'll definitely check those out. We'll check out your 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 other books and your book coming up next year. We're looking forward to yeah. that one. And thanks so much for getting in touch. I always like, I love it when people send me emails or whatever. I always, it takes me a while, but I always respond. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to be on and talk with you guys tonight. And, and good luck with your podcast. It sounds amazing. Oh, it's definitely our pleasure. And say goodnight to your okay. kids for us too. I will. Thanks. Take care.